One night, I had worked hard to help a mother in the labor ward. But in spite of all that we could do, she died, leaving us with a tiny premature baby and a crying two-year-old daughter. We would have difficulty keeping the baby alive. We had no incubator. We had no electricity to run an incubator. Although we lived on the equator, nights were often chilly with treacherous drafts. A student midwife went for the box we had for such babies and for the cotton wool that the baby would be wrapped in. Another went to stoke up the fire and to fill a hot water bottle. She came back shortly in distress to tell me that in filling the bottle it had burst. Rubber perishes easily in tropical climates and it is our last hot water bottle, she exclaimed. In the West we say it is no good crying over spilt milk. So in Central Africa it might be considered no good crying over a burst water bottle. Still, they do not grow on trees, and there are no drugstores down forest pathways. All right, I said. Put the baby as near the fire as you safely can. Sleep between the baby and the door to keep it free from drafts. Your job is to keep the baby warm. The following noon, as I did most days, I went to have prayers with the many of the orphan children who chose to gather with me. I gave the youngsters various suggestions of things to pray about and told them about the tiny baby. I explained our problem about keeping the baby warm enough, mentioning the hot water bottle. The baby could so easily die if it got chilled. I also told them about the two-year-old sister crying because her mother had died. During the prayer time, one ten-year-old girl, Ruth, prayed with the usual blunt consciousness of her African children. Please, God, she prayed, send us a water bottle. It'll be no good tomorrow, God. The baby will be dead, so please send it this afternoon. (laughs) Well, I gasped inwardly at the audacity of the prayer. She added by way of a corollary, and while you're at it, would you please send a dolly for the little girl so she'll know you really love her. As often with children's prayers, I was put on the spot. Could I honestly say, Amen? I just did not believe that God could do this. Oh, yes, I know that he can do everything. The Bible says so. But there are limits, aren't there? The only way God could answer this particular prayer would be by sending a parcel from the homeland. I had been in Africa for almost four years at that time, and I had never, ever received a parcel from home. Anyway, if anyone did send a parcel, who would put in a hot water bottle? I lived on the equator. Halfway through the afternoon, while I was teaching in the nurse's training school, a message was sent that there was a car at my front door. By the time that I reached home, the car had gone. But there, on the veranda, was a large 22-pound parcel. I felt tears pricking my eyes. I could not open the parcel alone, so I sent for the orphanage children together. We pulled out the string, carefully undoing each knot. We folded the paper, taking care not to tear it unduly. Excitement was mounting. Some 30 or 40 pairs of eyes were focused on the large cardboard box. From the top, I lifted out brightly colored knitted jerseys. Eyes sparkled as I gave them out. Then there were knitted bandages for the leprosy patients, and the children began to look a little bored. Next came a box of mixed raisins and sultanas. That would make a nice batch of buns for the weekend. As I put my hand in again, I felt the... Could it really be? I grasped it and pulled it out. Yes! A brand new rubber hot water bottle! I cried. I had not asked God to send it. I had not truly believed that he could. Ruth was in the front row of the children. She rushed forward, crying out, If God has sent a bottle, he must have sent a dolly too. 
Rummaging down to the bottom of the box, she pulled out the small, beautifully dressed dolly. Her eyes shone. She had never doubted. Looking up at me, she asked, Can I go over with you and give this dolly to that little girl so she'll know that Jesus really loves her? That parcel had been on the way for five months. Packed up by my former Sunday school class, whose leader had heard and obeyed God's prompting to send a hot water bottle even to the equator. (laughs) One of the girls had put in a dolly for an African child five months earlier. In answer to the believing prayer of a ten-year-old to bring it that afternoon. Now that story, the hot water bottle, is not fiction. I didn't write that. It's a true story. Uh, Helen Rosevere, she's a missionary doctor from England to the Democratic Republic of the Congo. It was called Zaire then. She related this at the Thomas Road Baptist Church, very famous church over there, exactly as it happened to her in what was known as Zaire, Africa, until the late 90s, actually, when that story happened. Right next door to a few countries we know, you know, Burundi and Uganda, where Rachel and Isaac are. And, so. and then she added, by the way, and it shall come to pass that before they call, I will answer. And while they are yet speaking, I will hear. Quoting Isaiah. Do we really believe in prayer? <laughs> like that little girl did. Like those in the early church did. Before the church started at Pentecost, the church prayed for days on days on end. <laughs> There's a lot to learn about prayer in the first chapter of Acts, and and I have a few questions I'd like to ask. What drove them to prayer? We always seem to need something to drive us to prayer. What is their need, their desire, their passion? And how does location matter? Scripture mentions where they were. Who should be involved in prayer? How do we get started? How do we keep going? How much do we seriously expect when we pray? You know, a hot water bottle from halfway around the world? What is reasonable? The disciples, and many others, had gathered together and all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. Why? (laughs) Why did the apostles, the other disciples, the women, and even Jesus' mother and brothers devote themselves to prayer? Why did they devote themselves to prayer? Why such great passion to pray? What was their need, their desire? Well, they were in the midst of some pretty amazing, we'll call them, circumstances. Jesus' death was fresh on their minds. It it had only been a little more than a month. Before and after that was their gut-wrenching fear of arrest and torture. There was Judas' betrayal and his horrific end. On the positive side, there was the resurrection. It was wonderful, but pretty overwhelming. You can imagine their torn emotions. And then they hoped the new kingdom was starting now. But no, Jesus leaves them and goes to heaven. But before he did, he gave them a promise that went beyond their circumstances as the second reason they prayed so earnestly. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria to the end of the earth. They want this power, this power to tell everyone the greatest story ever told. So their focus 
in prayer encompasses everything from the failure of the past to the promise of the future. So, what should our focus be when we pray? <laughs> now, of course, we each have individual issues and, and needs, as well as things we want to thank God for. But what things, in general, should be the focus of our prayers, of any believer's prayers? Well, here today we're going to go through four specific things that are outlined in Scripture that we should consider. First, our sin and God's gift. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. First, can we be honest and admit that it's a rare day when we can reach the end without having any sins to confess? For me, it's about as rare as pigs with wings. Okay, <laughs> Maybe you do a little better than I do. but And in prayer, we need to address our needs. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace in help, to help in time of need. Mercy and grace. You know, we, we need it all. <laughs> and we certainly must not forget to be grateful. I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. That day, when the cornerstone, Jesus became the cornerstone, that may be the greatest thing for which we should thank God. But there's a constant flow of goodness in our lives for which we should for our gratitude to our Creator and Savior. And last for today, let us always and primarily remember to glorify God in our prayers. Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving and perform your vows to the Most High and call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. Wait. We bring glory to God. I don't know about you. There's not a there's not a lot that's glorious about me. <laughs> Let's be honest here. How could I ever bring glory to God? Well, we can. When we pray about our sin and God's gift, our needs and his answers for which we pour out thanksgiving, you see it's all about what God is doing which we rehearse when we pray. So we bring him glory. So what are we waiting for? <laughs> Let's look at prayer. Let's start with the where of prayer. Okay, we're talking about the early church. Where did they pray? And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. Where they were staying. That's pretty much it. <laughs> church is a great place to pray. But anywhere will do. Anywhere. And we should clarify. Remember, this is the church age so God doesn't have a house, a temple, to which we must go to worship him. We are his house. We are his temple. Any place we go is a holy place. Because God is in us. We bring holiness with us wherever we go. Pretty amazing, huh? Okay. 
And language convention. Okay, it's what it is. The word church is used to mean the building that's dedicated as a meeting place for the worship of God. That's okay. But biblically, remember, you are the church. We'll soon consider Jesus' statement, where two or three are gathered my name. That's all it takes for the church to be there. That's it. You're there. So it's not about where we are, but who we're with. Now, God, of course. In fact, all three persons of the Trinity want to have fellowship with us. Friendship with us. I mean, can you believe it? God wants to have friendship with you. But it's true. God wants to be a friend. And more on that in a second, too. But listen to this. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. In the New Testament, when you read the word God by itself, it always means God the Father. Always. 100% of the time. If you see God with nothing around it, it's God the Father. So, the Father calls us into relationship with the Son. John wrote, by the way, we, in most, in a lot of biblical writing in the New Testament particularly, is a polite way for, for the writer, John in this case, to mean himself. So, that which we have seen and have heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. So once again, both the Father and the Son. But of course, the persons of the Trinity are so close that to have a relationship with any one of them is to have it with all of them. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amazing. All three persons of the Trinity want to be a part of our lives. Of your life. Remember that song? What a friend we have in Jesus. It's true. And this who, though, it goes, goes beyond even that. We get to have fellowship with the people with whom we pray. With the prayer people. So it's who we are that determines who we'll be with. So, so let's start there with individual prayer. Now, every believer needs to spend time in private prayer. Jesus often did, again and again throughout the Scripture. The Apostle Paul spent more than a decade in study and private prayer in the desert of Arabia, he says, before he began his ministry. Uh, did you, that's a long time. <laughs> uh, John spent years alone on Patmos and other places. We know he did more than a little bit of praying. you got to pray alone. Uh, you can pray when you're out walking the dog. <laughs> you can pray when you're driving alone in the car. Simply when you lay down at night before you fall asleep anywhere, you can pray. So we are supposed to pray alone. Uh, what things should we know about private prayer? Now, clearly, private prayer is an individual expression between you and God. Just go for it. <laughs> and as such, it should change and grow as you grow in your faith. So you'll see your own prayers change. Nobody starts off saying everything right at the beginning in anything. Prayer is the same. Perfecting prayer requires practice, uh, but only perfect practice makes perfect. I, I used to teach trumpet lessons, still do a little. And I'd say to the kids, don't hold your trumpet that way. You hold your trumpet that way, you can practice the rest of your life. You'll never be able to play this unless you hold it the correct way. You have to practice perfectly. So getting prayer right can sometimes be a lot of work, but it's worth it. Praying, like the Bible says, is the perfect way to practice. <laughs> We're going to look at that shortly. But 
First, there's another issue. Prayer is sometimes really hard, sort of like some of the conversations that we need to have, like when you have to apologize to someone. Nobody wants to get to that. Ah, it's just not a pleasant thing. But that's what you must do to maintain that relationship. To have a great relationship with God in prayer is sometimes really hard for the same reason. <laughs> Here's a side note, by the way. Stretch. Give you a little stretch side note here. Maybe that's why Jesus said that when someone wrongs you and owes you an apology, you should go to them. Just the two of you. You, the offended person, get that difficult task conversation going, he says. You do that. You take, you take the step. <laughs> Because you might gain your brother back. You might get the relationship back. And a good relationship with your Christian family is vitally important. So there's this little side note. And it's just the way relationships that work sometimes require difficult conversations. It's just true. And sadly, a lot of people just give up and abandon relationships rather than work through the bitter times to the better times. And perhaps the reason... Some people find it so difficult to praise because of that. In our society, relationships are just they're too disposable. You ever heard someone say, I have a new friend. I just met them yesterday. <laughs> really? That's remarkable. Friendships are supposed to last a lifetime. They're supposed to mean you would give your life for that person. And in one day, you decide to commit yourself that thoroughly to another person. That's kind of surprising. <laughs> Unfortunately, what they term friendships, they're quickly made because they're discarded with ease. There's no real commitment. There are many reasons. Most couples in America today, more than 70% of couples living together today, uh, they cohabitate rather than marry. A major cause is this very lack of commitment. Some other girl might come along. It's usually the guy, by the way, that's like this. Some other girl might come along. His soulmate might show up and then he's going to have to leave this girl to go with his soulmate. Ah, <laughs> so why would I go through all the hassle of marriage? Because then I just, you know, well, I don't want a lifelong commitment like that. Where's that friendship that married couples that are together should have? Where is it? That's kind of a discussion for another time. But okay, so let's let's step back and and look at some good news. God invests in lifetime relationships. In fact, his plans are eternal. They will never end. A relationship with him will go on forever. So it's worth getting it right. It's worth the effort precisely because it's not temporary. It will last more than a lifetime. You might recall that famous statement from the Bible, love never ends. Go ahead and look around you for a second. If you're going to live forever with these people, <laughs> maybe it's worth getting it right. And if you want to start a romantic relationship, I really, really hope you think eternally. One of the ladies when I grew up was a wonderful woman and she lived with a man who didn't believe, wasted 50 years of her life and at the end, he rejected God, he rejected her, he rejected everything. 50 years. Wow. Anyway, we'll go back to our thoughts. So the difficulty of learning to pray well, of praying when it's really uncomfortable, 
especially when we ask for the hundredth time for forgiveness for the same dumb thing. <sighs> you never, you guys come in? Nobody, no, don't raise your hand. <laughs> that would be silly, don't raise your hand. Uh, that, that pain's lessened when we remember that one day our relationship with God will be perfect. It will be. He will make it perfect. And then that will, that perfect will last forever. So individual prayer, very important. Okay, now we get to shift gears. So, a few deep breaths. Let's move to the discussion on praying with other people. Like the disciples did. Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon the Zealot and Judas the son of James, all these with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. <laughs> Is it important to pray with others? <laughs> uh, Jesus thought so, for where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. You cannot live a healthy Christian life without private prayer. You cannot live a healthy Christian life without prayer with others. And Okay, well, you're here, so obviously you get that. <laughs> The point is, when life gets serious, find someone seasoned in prayer. So how do we choose who we pray with? Well, first, can we be obvious and say, with other believers? Okay, that, is that obvious enough? The living gets really tough. The battle presses in all around you. You need someone who's been through it, like Matthias. <laughs> who? <laughs> When the church was together praying way back in the beginning, Peter realized that they needed a twelfth man. Not like the Seahawks. <laughs> Not a spectator. They needed an active player, one to replace Judas Iscariot. For Jews, twelve is a complete number, uh, so they needed twelve apostles. It's, it's a Jewish thing. So listen to how Peter drove the point home. So one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. And they put forward two, Joseph called Barsabas, who was also called Justice, and Matthias. These two had been there through the entire ministry of Jesus. They had been elated at the miracles, they had abandoned Jesus at the crucifixion also. They had seen Jesus ascend to heaven. Now there's just something about a saint who has had success and failure as a Christian and has learned from it all. When you really, really need to feel the presence of God in hurting times, Call one of these saints to pour out their heart with you to God. All right. All that's great. So, how do we actually start to pray? Well, start. <laughs> John Chapman said it well. Pray as you can, not as you can't. <laughs> Just start. Great. But really, how do we start? Okay. <laughs> First, let's ask a question. Where do we know we are hearing from God? And that's what we want, right? We want to hear from God. So where are we absolutely confident we can find the voice of our Savior? That's right, the Scriptures. 
that's what it's called, the Word of God. <laughs> Did you know, in that little thing that we just read to Peter, he referenced four different Psalms. Four. And he referenced Jesus' words, which would later be recorded as Scripture. Wow. Five. In that little thing, we can almost bet they were reading Scripture together during those days. They were right there. Hey! We're supposed to witness to Jesus. And it says here we need twelve. And here's another place that it says someone should take the place of the lost one. They're reading the Scripture. And then they're praying from that. It makes it easy to understand where Peter's coming from, doesn't it? When you start to pray, start by reading Scripture. Especially Scripture that relates to the subject of your prayer. Peter read the scriptures he did because they were all about times of trouble. And specifically, they were about Jesus. You can't find a scripture, a specific scripture that seems to deal with your issue? Well, first, ask a seasoned saint. Uh, they're good people to ask. It's amazing what they'll come up with. Second, you know, well, read any scripture. <laughs> it's, God will bring to you what you need to hear. It's amazing how often in, in my regular reading, and I've heard plenty of people talk about this, just reading every day like you always do, and you run across something. It makes me laugh. It's, <laughs> oh, duh, of course. Oh, that's so funny. I should have thought of that. All the time that happens. All the time. God's amazing. He's truly amazing in his providential care. Just the day-to-day running of life just weaves together beautifully. And, and if you're still not wor- sure where, just, just start with a psalm. <laughs> I mean, they're mostly prayers anyway, so you're, <laughs> you're kind of there already. But just read Scripture. So here some other issues. Now, we've already pointed out that private prayer often, obviously, requires solitude. And in sometimes, in another sense, so does small group prayer. So you get a small group. But not just from people, or even necessarily from people. Rather, from the distractions of life. TV, internet, radio, iPods, cell phones, yeah, all that, yes. But more than that, from the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches, as Jesus said. That's what chokes out our Christian life. So it's a funny thing, but you really need to set your cares aside so that God can take care of them. (laughs) And that's part of what you do when you pray. You lay them at Jesus' feet, as the saying goes. But after all, it is God that we must seek. Seek the Lord. Well, he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. First, above all things, seek the Lord in your prayer. But be aware, sometimes prayer is listening, just like conversation. At one point, some group, I think it was journalists, they picked the person that they believed was the greatest conversationalist alive. You wanted to talk to somebody, this was the guy. It might surprise you, it was actually Henry Kissinger. So some enterprising soul decided to find out why Henry K. was so great to talk to. So he studied videos of Henry and the people he talked to. And I hope this amazes you. It did me. 85% of the time, Kissinger was listening. 
85% of the time he was listening. And when he did talk, half of what he said was a restatement, in his words, of what the other person had said. And that's why people believed him to be a great conversationalist. Over 90% of the time, they were hearing themselves. <laughs> I'm guessing about the only person who thought what they said was important was, well, themselves. What God says, on the other hand, maybe when we talk to God, we mostly listen. And when we do talk, we restate what God has already told us in his word. Maybe a good idea. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. All the wars in your life happening around you, they, don't, they mean nothing. Just quietly absorb Him. It's okay to sit silent and strain to hear the voice of God in the midst of a very noisy world. We should also recognize that prayer requires humility, that difficult balance of understanding our deprived and unworthy nature, and yet recognizing the glorious regeneration God has begun and will finish in us. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Do you feel ever small near a God who just slings out stars? <laughs> We should. As the Apostle wrote, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God! How unsearchable are His judgments and how inscrutable His ways! We are beggars in the face of God. And yet, we are children of God. We can't understand this way of God's, but we can humbly accept it. And we can trust Him. And answer we will get the one we ask for or not. <laughs> Whatever it is, trust in God for the answer. Trust in Jesus. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the weak. And to those who have no might, he increases strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. God can handle anything that life dumps on you. And he can help you to handle it. And if you believe that, then you should think about this. Prayer presupposes a willingness to do God's will once it is revealed. Why pray if you're not going to listen? Why ask if you're not going to respond? I mean, you certainly had people ask your advice and then completely ignore it. <laughs> it's not good. And well, it's not like we're perfect, but God is. Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. You're deceiving yourselves if you think you can view God's instructions as optional. If you're going to pray like those early disciples, like those seasoned saints you read about, like those you know, 
with a little girl in Africa. Plan on doing what is right. Even if you don't want to. God will be faithful. He does have a better plan for you. Be doers of the word. Don't just hear it. Okay. So let's, let's do some of what we're saying. We'll, we'll talk about the doing of it first and then we'll, we'll get a practice at the end here. We'll pray from these scriptures. But let's start with the amazing truth of God's forgiveness of our sins. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who's hanged on a tree. So remember the basics of prayer we started with. Our sin and God's gift. Our needs. Our gratefulness. God's glory. Now this certainly covers the first. <laughs> and I think you'll agree it answers our greatest need. And that should bring us to our knees in thanks. And it speaks volumes about the glory of our God and Savior. But it is okay and important to bring our needs to God. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. When we've looked at our sin and God's grace, we naturally must move to our needs. This is a fallen world. We are fallen creatures. And yes, redeemed by God and one day to be made perfect, but we are still subject to sin, to needs, all of which God wants to solve. And maybe more importantly, if you didn't notice, he wants to give us peace even in the midst of the storms. Which should lead us to our gratefulness. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations. His marvelous works among all the people. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. How can we not <laughs> join with the psalmist and sing out to our God and our Savior? Every praise we know with that. I mean, wow. How can we not show his glory to all nations? The nature of who God is and who we are naturally leads us to bring all glory to him. Frankly, the universe is only balanced when that happens. <laughs> it's unbalanced if that doesn't happen. Our sin, God's grace, our need, our gratefulness, and our desire to give God glory. I'd like to bring all this together in the next scripture and then we can practice some praying together. The setting for this scripture is one of the most difficult times any person can suffer. Martha, she stands outside the tomb of her beloved brother. She believes in Jesus. Believes that one day he will set things straight. But now, can she really expect a water bottle now? <laughs> a resurrected brother now? Now with that ache, that loss so deep in her soul. Now, now it's just difficult. <laughs> she can't quite believe. So she very wisely goes to the one she knows has the answer. And Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you 
But if you believed, you would see the glory of God. So they took away the stone. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me. But they said this on account of the people standing around me. That they may believe that you sent me. Father, we know you hear us. Because your son told us you do. (laughs) Because your spirit lives within us. And we face really hard times. We stand back often. And everything we own is going away. And people we trusted betray us. Things just won't go together. We can pray to you. Now maybe maybe you won't raise someone from the dead like you did Lazarus. Not right then. That was a very special time, a very special purpose. Mostly, it's about giving us peace. We need that peace, Lord. We need to know it's going to be okay. And we can know it's okay. Because because you hear us. You always hear us. And we know who you are. We know how much you care for us. You love us. You have that loving kindness. As it's often said in the Old Testament, you really do care. Not just some vague emotion, but you actually carry it out. Most importantly, by giving us your son. He came and lived as a human being, a real human being. Died a real death. But rose, really rose from the grave, actually. He came back alive because who he is could not stay dead. Because of who he is and because of what he went through, you have told us we can go all the way through too. If we do die before your son comes back, we will rise again because your son did. There's no question. Sometimes we need that long vision. We're getting beat up in this world. We just need to be able to see the end. So thank you, Lord, that you can put that end in our sight. And throughout this week, as we try to focus on praying to you and listening to you. Help us to find the scriptures that will drive us to our knees. Or just drive us to prayer if we're walking, if we're laying down, if we're just waiting in line someplace. Help us to remember you, your son, your spirit. Thank you that you want to have a relationship with us, that you want to be our friend. Thank you, Father, for the great care you have for us. In Jesus' name we pray.
Amen.